Thank you for joining us for this episode of Journey Now, produced by Journey Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. For more information on Journey Church and our gatherings, visit journeytn.com. Welcome to another Journey Now podcast. I'm Kevin Dixon, and we're so glad you've joined us. And this is part two of my conversation with Dave Verhagen, a psychologist, and we're talking about addiction. And if you didn't catch the first one, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that first one. It gives the foundation for what we're going to talk about here. Talk a little bit about where the previous one talks a little bit about where we talk about where addictions come from, a little bit of spiritual intersection with that. Um, how do I self-identify that I've got some issues? Um, because it, it, this seems to be, a, we talked about this last time, but it's a, a growing um, uh, concern. Uh, numbers are up. Addiction is, through the pandemic, has grown in Tennessee and all around the country uh, by leaps and bounds. And so it's becoming more of an issue, and we're, we're seeing it here at Journey. And with that, um, it's not just the person that has the addiction. It affects other people. But with that, there's there's a bunch of, there's different classifications of addictions. There's the substance abuse, and then there's what you called last time the process abuse. Can you give us a little bit more on what's involved with that process addiction? Yeah, so obviously substance abuse or substance addiction rather, yeah. or drug addiction always involves a, a chemical of some kind. Right. It's alcohol or an opioid or something like that. Right. But then there's another class that uh, most people, although not all, mm -hmm. would consider to be addictions as well that are behavior patterns that follow the same sort of pattern as a substance addiction. addiction. Okay. And it would be the things we talked about last time. It's chronic in nature, meaning it's long-term. Right. It's compulsive use of, or, 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 or access to the, to the um, whatever the, the behavior is craving for it, preoccupation with it, right. and then resistant to consequences. Yeah, the four C's. Yeah. Right, the four C's. The four C's. <laughs> yeah, yep. chronic, compulsive, craving, and consequence resistant. So the, the process addictions are things like gambling, porn, mm -hmm. um, compulsive spending, right. uh, uh, and, and things like that. And, and there's, there's a variety of, of those kinds of things. What I would say about that, just to go back to a point we made earlier, mm -hmm. We've gotten very lazy and sloppy in our sort of in our culture where everything's an addiction, addiction right? right. <clears throat> I'm addicted to Netflix, right? I'm addicted to Netflix. I'm addic addicted to, you know, this, uh, this restaurant I'm addicted to. Right. Red, you know, red licorice. Right. Yeah. yeah. Th th this, this brand of shoe or something like that. <laughs> right. And those aren't addictions, no. but there are legitimate process addictions like gambling and porn, mm -hmm. um, that, that have for many people a destructive right all of those four things are real yeah like the four c's that you listed off are absolutely yeah. and, and and we've seen people who have lost relationships and families mm -hmm. and their savings because of gambling addictions right as gambling has gotten more popular online and legal and legal and it's legal in tennessee now then so you, yeah. then of course that spiked up by yeah. the way during the pandemic Gambling overall did yeah. not go up, huh. uh, but the online gambling, of, of course, most gambling is in person. Right, right, right. So, but the online gambling spiked up. Sure. And you can sit at home and bet. Yeah. yeah. But overall rates of gambling didn't. Oh, but, okay. But, um, and, and, and actually 
with with porn addiction and porn use in the first months of the pandemic mm-hmm. the the rate of access and seeking out porn by any measure went up okay and so there was this kind of idea that there was going to be this epidemic of porn right. uh, the porndemic one article called it and what we found is in march to may there was this spike in 2020 right but by august october it had gone back to to previous levels of use okay so i'm not saying that's good or or not good it's just it it was just the trend okay people found other things to do (laughs) yes well and they 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 found other things to do and they got connected with with, they found ways to make connections with people right right right. what's uh, let me comment on the porn thing for just a bit sure um in christian circles porn is a very interesting thing because Christian men are more likely than non-Christian men to report that they have a porn addiction. Okay. But when you look at their actual use, it's no greater and in fact typically less than other people. Okay. So it's it, it, there's this there's some shame in there. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> so Porn in particular is just oh, heaping yeah. with shame for, yeah. for men yeah. in, in the Christian um, community. And sure. so there's this idea that uh, they feel very much like they've got this addiction and it's mm-hmm. this bad, shameful thing. Right. But when you really look at like how much, how frequent, typically it's not more. Right. It's, it, it's the same or less. Right. And, and again, to kind of reference last time when we talked. Right. The, the, the more shame someone feels, the more they feel caught in it and the more compulsive it can become and the more chronic in nature it can become. Right. And another piece that's really important is particularly with these process addictions, the more someone feels like there are forces outside of their control, including like their brain. You know, yeah. like they're, they're neurotransmitters and I'll have guys right. come in and say, I just think it's a, a dopamine problem or a serotonin <laughs> problem in my brain. You know, yeah. they've heard or read this kind of stuff. Sure. It's like porn makes this or gambling does this to your brain. Right. The, the belief in that, and I'm not saying there's no, no basis at all to that, sure. but the belief that there's something in your brain that's a runaway train or some other force outside of your control actually makes you less likely to either seek treatment or to get better because you have this belief that it's out of control. It's this thing that can't be stopped. Yeah. So these process addictions are are very powerful. They're very real Mm -hmm. Uh, in the Christian community. I would argue that, that a lot of people think that they have more addiction than they might actually have. They might have problematic use. Right, right, right. But it hasn't tipped into the four C's. Right. Potentially right. not. Right. And sometimes it has, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's gotten very compulsive. Sure. Um, but, but there is definitely with, with porn in particular, tons of shame mm-hmm. that, that don't do anything good. And and when I say that, I don't mean that we're kind of endorsing it or saying no. it's benign or saying right. it's no, no issue. It's just that that shame based way of thinking about and approaching it just does not, is not our friend. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So, that's that's helpful to understand this there's a difference between the process ones and there's a difference between the chemical ones and i think what you're saying is is there might be two different ways of dealing with those like the 12 step or mm-hmm. something like that 
Um, and how do you, how do you, um, somebody to get help in right. this arena? Well, th that's a great question about like what helps. Right. And I'll start with why people seek help. And we have this cultural notion that the main reason people seek help is because they've hit rock bottom. <laughs> and, and that's the reason that's the main reason they, okay. their life has become unmanageable, ungovernable. Mm -hmm. They've hit rock bottom and now they cry out and I need help. They're at the end of their rope. Right. And that does happen. Mm -hmm. But what the research says is that the number one reason why people seek help is because it was important to someone who was important to them. In other words, right. it was a parent, a spouse, a friend, mm -hmm. combinations of people that said, this is important to us that you get better. Right. That's the main reason. Yeah. Within that, when people actually go into some kind of help or treatment, yeah. and, and by that I'm including everything from going to a meeting to going to off you go for months to yeah. rehab. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole All, gamut. Yes. And you know, like any kind of treatment, there's a continuum. Sure. If you had heart disease, we right. don't throw you down on the table and crack your chest open and <laughs> give you a heart re replacement. You know, right. we, we start with exercise and medicine. We go diet. with more intense medicine and diet. Yeah, we yeah. move, you know, maybe angioplasty. We move up the continuum. Right. Same thing's true with this. You don't, you meet people where they are with the right. least intrusive thing. Yes. But that's helpful by the way. Yeah. That's and, good. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean this equals this. It's right. like it, 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 some people can get way better by going to meetings or by having right. an outpatient therapist or right. being in a more, more of a regular intensive outpatient program. And some people that isn't going to cut it. They need to yeah. throw the whole apple cart over and go away. Yeah. Like John Mulaney talked about right, it. Right. We talked about him last episode. <laughs> yes. He needed to go two months of, of rehab, rehab because okay. he's had years and years and years of addiction and, and, yeah. and problem. So, um, the, the it, culturally, the, the model that is most yeah. in use is the 12 step model. Everybody, including people that don't have any problem with alcohol or right. are familiar with, are familiar with it. Yeah. Cause somebody's come to you and said, Hey, I need to seek your forgiveness or right. Right. Make yeah. amends with make you. amends with you. Yes. And I hear me say this before I get into this, okay. I am not poo pooing the 12 step model. Okay. I'm not adverse to it or, right. or negative toward it. Yeah. But the reason why it's the dominant model mm -hmm. is because it's was the only game in town. Sure. Right. When, when it's the only one I knew of when Bill W uh, came up with this as a layman, yeah, there were not alternatives, right? There, if you had an alcohol problem, you didn't have community alternatives. Right. And so he came up with these 12 steps and then that became um, embraced by judges and courts. And so they would order people into a 12 step program. A 12 step program. Right. Then rehab programs became organized around the 12 steps. Right. Yep. And it can be highly effective for some people. Okay. But it is not, not everybody. the only game in town. Right. And there is a, and, and what I'm getting ready to say is going to be absolute heresy among the 12 steppers among some 12 steppers, not okay. all, but okay. among some of them, okay. it will be absolute heresy. Okay. But I'm going to say based on the research, yeah. not just Dave's nice idea or opinion <laughs> is that there is a, another, uh, umbrella of treatment that's called harm reduction oh, okay. and harm reduction is 
if you're here on the far end of the continuum okay. and we can get you to the next notch down and then the next notch down and the next notch down, then we're going to go for it. Right. As opposed to the 12 step model, which is, it's very binary. You're yes. drinking or you're not drinking. Right. You're sober or you're not. Right. <clears throat> it's very binary. Yeah. It's a cold, it's a, you go cold turkey for lack of a better term. Yeah. And you get little chips along the way. That's you right. You get rewarded and yes. And so maybe you've gone a hundred days. Right. And then you, Sobriety. you yeah. relapse with having a drink and now you're back to square, square one, one and now you get your first day chip and you build up again. Right. And for some people, that's a beautiful thing. They love it. Yeah. Works for them. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll tell you um, that part of the reason why I think 12 steps work is that I think it is actually the bar without the alcohol. I think the reason why 12 step works primarily right. is not because there's some sort of magic or uh, off of Mount Sinai spiritual truth with the 12 steps, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. but because it is affiliative. It is, mm -hmm. we are hanging out with each other and supporting each other. We're right. in relationship. I have a We're sponsor. Connected. I have a, right. Yeah. I think it's the bar without the alcohol. Okay. I think that's the, I think that's the engine that makes it work. That makes sense. Okay. But the harm reduction models over here, the, the, the outcomes for them in, in the research are usually better. Oh, okay. Now that doesn't mean it, it's a better fit for, for every person. Right. Yeah. So to put this in really practical terms, if someone came in to a therapist, a practitioner who is 12 stepper, yeah, they would say, you're, you're drinking, you need to stop drinking. We need to get you into right. program. We need to get you in sponsor with a sponsor and so on. That might be just what they need. Yeah. A person who comes from a harm reduction model would say, how much are you drinking right now? And they would say, uh, I don't know, I guess every day. How much every day? Uh, like twice a day, three times a day. Okay. Um, and then they would kind of lean into the, what's working about that for you? What's not working about right, that right, for right. you? Yeah. What's good about it? What's not good about it? Where do you want to be? Where do you, where, what, and they would lean into what we call the ambivalence of it, right? Yeah, the, right. the, I, I, there's part of me that knows that this is wrecking me and there's part of me that really, really wants to keep it. it yeah. And I don't want to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is my friend. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to let go of this right. thing. Yeah. And they'd lean into that and let the person get to a place where they would be willing to go from, let's say two or three times a day of drinking to maybe once a day, then to maybe once every other day, then to maybe, and maybe, yeah. maybe they kind of along that continuum slide up and down at times. Sure. Um, and that's also not for everybody. Right. You know, I had a, uh, a client uh, a while back that came in, he was smoking marijuana five times a day by his report. <laughs> so basically he's baked all day long. It's <laughs> 24 seven, like all his, all, all his waking hours. Yes. That's what he is. Yeah. And he was, I think 19 at the time, his oh, parents were letting him live at home and they're saying, look, this, you're, yeah, this ain't going to work. This ain't going to work. Right. Yeah. You're not doing anything with your life. You need to do X, Y, and Z, including stop. You can't bring marijuana in the house. You can't be, you yeah. can't use. So I did my usual thing. I tend to be more of a harm reduction guy. And I yeah. said, well, where do you want to go with this? He says, I need to stop. And I said, really, do you think you can just stop? And he goes, yeah, I, I need to, or I'm going to get kicked out of the house. And I'm like, Okay. Okay. So and, he sees the consequence. And he did. For nine months, he didn't relapse once. This is a guy that by all measures would be, have an addiction. Yeah. Um, by all, 
you know, ways of seeing it would, would struggle mightily because his whole day is yeah, soaked high. in this, yeah. this substance. And he stopped. The contrast is the same month I had a guy come in that smoked marijuana a couple times every, you know, like maybe once a week, maybe yeah. twice a week, maybe. Yeah. And he said he wanted to stop. And six weeks later was still at it. Yeah. You just don't know. Sometimes you can't predict by the frequency. You can't predict by it's, right. it, it depends. So we really try to match up. What does someone need? Does someone need a model that is just like, all right, you're done. Yeah. And now here's the ways that we're going to support you in being done. Yeah. Kind of like what John Mulaney did. Yeah. Or, or is someone more needing a model where we we're going to lead them along right. down, you know, kind of moving toward health, right. moving toward less harm, moving toward less impact. Right. Of course, that is, like I said, it's, it's heresy to someone in the 12 step model because it sounds like you're saying it's okay to do this. Right. And, and that's not what harm reduction really is saying. Right. Harm reduction ultimately has the same goal, goal. in mind. Right. But it's just trying to say there's some people that, they're going to balk at this idea. I have to stop entirely, or they're going to get so discouraged by their first relapse that right. they're, they check out right. they or, just, and then they dive back in. <clears throat> yeah. Right. And yeah. so it's just a strategic move and it, it's, it depends on what someone needs right. to match them up. So there, there are different models. Most of the stuff out there, all the, all the, the, the meetings are 12 step. Right. Um, most of the treatment programs are 12 step, but there are different models beyond that. Yeah. Okay, good. Thanks, Dave. Um, that's helpful. Um, so I'm living with somebody who's struggling with something. Yeah. Um, and I want to help them. I feel helpless. I feel like, um, I'm, I may even feel like I'm a victim of what's going on in their life. And you may be, and you, yeah, it may and, deeply affect you. Right. Um, what, what is my role or what, what would you recommend? I mean, obviously I don't want to add to their shame. I don't want to add to their addiction, but I also want them to stop. I want something to change. Um, how would you, how would you kind of, do you ever meet with people that are, um, family members or loved ones? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All the time. So what's the, what's the game there? What's the not game, but you know what I mean? What's I do. The, what's the approach? Yeah. So th this is super duper hard to, to be in any kind of relationship with someone who has a, an addiction. Right. Let's just start with that mm -hmm. reality is that there's not going to be some magic that makes this not hard. Right. Um, it's not, it's hard for the addict and it's hard for the loved ones of the addict. Mm -hmm. There is, um, an organization Al-Anon. So, so yes. that's the support for people who are loved ones of addicts. Okay. And they have a, principle or a premise that I really like. And the principle or premise is engage when you can and disengage when you must. Okay. And so if someone is doing well and you can be engaged and be, um, you know, open and connected, then you do. And if you cannot do that because of where they happen to be sure. for your own well-being or your family's well-being or whatever, then sometimes you have to disengage, but they see it as a dynamic process. It's not this we're in camp A or B and we, right. we stay in camp binary. B. Right. It's yeah. very fluid and dynamic in, in that. And I like that. Um, 
I'm, I'm going to say things that are going to sound contradictory, okay. but I really mean to hold them in tension. tension. Okay. Right? So there's a tension here. In psychology, we talk about having dialectical thinking, which is the ability to hold two things that seem like they pull at each other mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. And that's something that that is hard to do, right. but it's a more emotionally healthy thing to do. Sure. Uh, just in the same way that we would see the addict in this way of being, is he a wonderful man and a great guy? Yes. yes. Is he, uh, do, do I want to punch him in the face and uh, I can't stand him and I <laughs> shake him? Yeah. Yeah, shake, yes. Yes. And yes. All that's all true. That. Yeah. Right. It's all it's, true at the same time. It's all true at the same moment. Yeah. So as, as a loved one with this, I, it's perfectly legitimate for you to, to look out for yourself in this. Okay. So I'll say that too, right. is it, yep. you don't have to be this self-sacrificial person that, that the addict can just run the family or run the, right. and, and what we know is that in families or any system like that, it tends to get organized around the least healthy member. Right. So if you have yes. an addict in the family, the family becomes organized around the addict. Right. It's not healthy. It's not good. And it's okay to set those boundaries where that doesn't happen anymore. Okay. So taking care of yourself is, is not selfish. It's not wrong. Um, it's perfectly good. But what we know is that w when people have an addiction, we've kind of imported this idea from the bigger culture of, you know, it used to be highly punitive. Right. This highly punitive and highly authoritarian kind of approach, like you do what I say. Tough love. A lot of tough love. Yeah. And that stuff just does not tend to work. Okay. And when people are out of relationship and out of connection with other people, they tend to get worse. Right. And so unfortunately what happens is it mm. becomes this bind where someone is struggling with an addiction mm -hmm. and then their family and friends say, I'm done with you and they're cut off and it tends to get worse. Right. In our heads, it's like, well, they're going to realize they've reached rock bottom and then they're going to, right. And sometimes that happens, but a lot of times it doesn't happen. Right. And so the, the, the better thing is engaged in a way when you can be uh -huh. and disengaged or, or boundary heavily boundaried when you must be. Right. And it's perfectly fine for a spouse to set the limit and say, these are the rules yeah. and these are the terms of me. Um, and, and, and to keep those. Yeah. Um, so there's not an easy, easily said, right do X and Y and Z because it depends on mm -hmm. where things are in the trajectory of that, of that relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, what we find though, is when people are in some kind of connection with someone else and that person really loves them and cares for them, mm -hmm. they're more likely to be open to help and, and support and they're more likely to get better. Right. Doesn't mean that the person will, the, right. doesn't mean they will. And it doesn't mean the burden's all on you. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. I've talked to a lot of people in this situation. Yeah. Right? And they feel like, how do I, they feel like they're enabling the addict. Mm -hmm. um, like you talked about the kid who was living with his parents and he was smoking marijuana five times mm -hmm. a day. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they kind of felt like, okay, we're making this possible. Right. And, and, and they did what they needed to do, which is like, let's stop making this possible. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet that feels a little bit like, some ultimatums are involved mm -hmm. and they put up a boundary said, look, if you're going to, you can't do this in my house anymore. 
right? And so, but then I've, I've talked to people who have done that and they feel guilt. Mm -hmm. They feel uh, shameful because this person that they loved ended up out on the street or mm -hmm. they ended up um, buried deeper in their addiction mm -hmm. and it, it backfired on them. Um, have you talked to anybody like that? And how do you, what do you, what do you say to them in, in those moments? It's very tough. And the, the first point I'll make is no matter what you do, there is not a guarantee of an outcome, right? If you don't set a limit or you do set a limit, right? If you do make things conditional or you don't make them, there's not a guarantee of an outcome, right? So I start with the what is the healthy thing to do? So if someone is in a relationship with a person who has an addiction mm -hmm. and it's harmful to their spouse or harmful to their kids yeah. or harmful, then we start with what is the healthy thing to do for those other people? It's not just simply about the addict. It's about the whole system that they're a part of. Right. And, and so th that, that sense of guilt though, that comes right when you do set the limit, when you do is a big piece of this is when someone has a problem, mm -hmm. the most common way that they defend against that is they get everybody else on their heels. They right. push back at, and it's your problem. You're stressing me out right. or you're making a mountain out of a molehill or you're mm -hmm. doing so. And, and so it's people in those relationships often feel guilty because they feel like I'm going to do something that's going to, you know, I've had people say, well, he said, if I take his, uh, gaming system way, he's going to kill himself. I mean, have you heard things oh, like yeah, that? Or, yeah, yeah. or he's going to like stop going to school or yeah. there's all I'm this taking so your phone away. Right. So you can't look at porn. Yeah. And oh, then it's I'll like, kill myself. I'm going to kill myself or I'm going right. to stop going to school. I'm going to drop out. Right. It's all this emotional blackmail. Right. And that's a sign. If you're feeling emotionally blackmailed. That, yeah. That's a good word. Right. It, yeah. In that moment, that's probably a sign you're on the right track. <laughs> probably. Right. Yeah. It, is, it doesn't mean you just go around and poke your finger in everybody's eye, but, no. it, but if, if you set a limit and the person with the problem reacts with that kind of intensity and anger, it's not the sign that you're doing something wrong. It's a sign that you're pushing the button that right. this is important. Right. Doesn't, you don't have a guarantee of an outcome either way, Right. but you're probably needing to kind of uh, set that limit. The guilt that comes from that often comes from the addict himself or herself mm -hmm. pushing back on you. Right. And also just this worry that comes from, yeah. Well, if they if, might leave, me. if I say this, then they might leave and leave the kids or they might yeah. ha harm themselves. Or, right. And again, I, I can't tell you or anybody, even sitting face to face in my office, right. if you do this, this is the certain outcome. No, because it's not, it's not really a one for one no. exchange. Right. And, and so you just have to make the decision. That's the wisest decision. That's not only best for that person as mm -hmm. you see it, yeah. but also best for you and, and the, the family system. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so sometimes that is doing a really hard thing. I think though the seeing a problem and not addressing it at all yeah. tends to be worse. Right. I mean, I right. do, you know, that, that there might be less guilt in some ways because you don't get all the pushback, right. but it tend, the outcome tends to be worse because then the message to the person with the problem is you don't care. You don't care. You're not willing to kind of oppose me. Uh, right. I can do as I please. Yep. Yeah. So it empowers them in some ways. In some ways, potentially. Wow. Okay. Um, 
so this whole arena of of um, living with somebody or being in relationship with somebody, you know, might not be living with them. You may be working with somebody like that. Potentially. Yeah. You may, um, yeah. Or it might be an adult child that lives in another state that you care deeply about. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so there is a sense of where it would be worthwhile to talk to somebody about this. Mm -hmm. So it's not, don't live in the isolation of I'm stuck with this. Mm -hmm. So to reach out to somebody like you or even a pastor or somebody and right. just say, Hey, this is going on. But Al-Anon isn't just for alcoholics. It's, or right. it's, it's for people of all kinds of. Right. And there are a number of supports okay. in, in the community and different church communities. Also, mm -hmm. um, there are a number of them. And I will say, once you kind of move into the mental health arena, which is sometimes a very good idea because often these things are the term in psychology is comorbid, meaning anxiety and depression, et cetera, go with addictions right. in one direction or the other. It sure. might have preceded the addiction or it might have, huh. you know, it might have come afterwards sure. as a result. Yeah. It, there are different roles that people play. And so I could be, as an example, the therapist for the person with the addiction. Right. I might also be the consultant to the the family or the the spouse or the parent right. of the adult person with the addiction but i'm usually not going to be both things right or i could be a family therapist which is a little bit different where the family system becomes the issue right and so some of it is being a good um, educated consumer of what do you need mm -hmm. when you start you you might say i need somebody for me just to kind of see my way through here right and sometimes people set up an appointment with me ostensibly for their 25 year old son. Sure. But what they really are asking for is be my advisor, consultant, counselor right. in this moment. Yeah. And that's different because if I'm serving in that role, then for me to turn around and say, now I'm going to see him. That's hard. It's going to be really hard because now I'm in two different roles. Right. Now, sometimes people really want family therapy. They're living with someone and they need to have everybody in the same room at the same time. Yeah. That's yet again, a different kind of thing. So be clear about what you need yeah. as close as you can. And if you're not sure, then pose that at the beginning when you're talking to somebody, you're seeking that out. Yeah. That's really good. Cause I, yeah, I didn't think about the whole implication of the variables that are involved and there are many. And, uh, and so. Uh, Dave, is there anything else you want to share with our audience before I kind of put a bow on this one? Yeah, I, I know a lot of this is heavy, but I will also say, and I'm not trying to put a happy face on this, but people do every day get better with addictions. Right. It's not something that is, if you have an addiction, that's the end. Mm -hmm. um, this is hard work for most people though. Right. And I, I want to emphasize Both sides that, of this. Both, both sides, sides of this. Yeah, it's yeah. just hard work. Mm -hmm. And as we know, with any time someone faces a struggle, an obstacle, a hardship, that if they do the hard work and they stay in it, it actually can very much deepen their character, mm -hmm. their relationships, mm -hmm. their connection with God. Yeah. Some of the coolest people I know have struggled in these ways right. because th there is a character that comes out of this mm -hmm. difficulty that would not have been there had they not struggled. Right. So even though this is hard, hard stuff yeah. and a lot of people don't get better. A lot of people do. Right. And there's a lot of reason to be hopeful. And so I always have my, my line is I want to go down swinging. 
<laughs> yeah. And what I mean right. is like, let's give it the, like if, yeah, if, let's try. Yeah. Let's we, try. If there's a young adult guy who's mm-hmm. struggling and his parents are really worried, I'm like, well, we don't know what the outcome is going to be, but mm-hmm. let's go down swinging. Yeah. Let's, let's try whatever we need to, to make this happen. Yeah. A lot of the people I've, I've met that have gone through and come out the other side are, are people of humility and, yes. and character yes. and, and empathy. Absolutely. Um, and that's huge. It is. It is. It's, it's life-changing and it changes their relationships with not just the person that got them to move into this, but it changes their relationship with everybody. Absolutely. Which is fascinating. So thanks, Dave. Yeah. I thank you. I really appreciate this. Yeah. I was glad to. Um, and, and just, if you're listening to this, this is a two-parter. Um, if you get a chance to listen to the first one, it kind of sets this one up. We want to really help and I'm going to do another one with um, Susie about how this all intersects with um, the Bible and some of the, some of the theological um, misunderstandings about addiction and strongholds and things. And then also try to answer that question, which we get a lot, is I've been praying for this and nothing has changed. So uh, tune in for the next one on The Journey Now, and we'll deal with some of the spiritual implications of addictions and uh check us keep checking us out and give us a rating and uh, find us wherever you find your podcast thanks again dave thank you if you enjoyed today's episode we would love it if you would share a screenshot of this episode to your instagram story and tag us at journey underscore tn and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app